Well, thanks for coming, guys. Um, I'm going to give you an overview of Universal Credit, so a very quick whistle-stop tour to remind you what it is and how it's supposed to work. Then we're going to look at some of the problems that people have faced already, um, and then we're going to have a look at what's changing and whether that is actually going to help or not. So firstly, what is it? I, I think of it as an umbrella, really. It's, it's coming to replace six means-tested benefits. You can see them listed there. So all six of these means-tested benefits are going to be replaced by a single benefit, universal credit. There's one omission which people often forget, which is council tax reduction. That is not part of universal credit. So you'll see that housing benefit has come under the universal credit umbrella. And already lots of people are making the mistake of assuming that when their housing benefit transfers over to universal credit or when they make a first new claim for universal credit, their council tax reduction will automatically be put in place. That's not correct because that's still an application to the local authority. So, so that's the, the, six, the six benefits, the two tax credits, income-based job seekers, ESA, and income support and housing benefit. So when is it coming? You probably know that we have had some universal credit in this area. In Hull, we are right at the back of the queue for implementation. So um, for what were known as basic, simple sort of claims, there was something called live service, which is currently in existence in Hull, but only for claims that started last year. And that was the transitional service. Some areas have been full service for a year or so now. And we are going full service in December. In East Riding, it's July. It's not going to happen all in one go. Um, basically, only new claims will start as universal credit claims or existing legacy benefit claims where there's a change of circumstances such that a new claim would be required. So maybe if um, someone starts to cohabit with someone, so they have to make a joint claim for housing benefit or for an income-based benefit. Full rollout is intended by 2021, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's realistic. We have heard that in areas where full service has come in, it has come in a lot slower than the DWP anticipated. So not as many cases are transitioning as quickly as expected. Okay, how is it paid? You probably know this. The big idea is that it's a one-off payment every month, paid in arrears. Um, and whilst it's a single payment, the payment schedule is essentially split into two. So there's a personal allowance, which I'll come on to in a second, and a housing element, which is effectively housing benefit. So we'll, we'll look at that in a second. So the personal allowance is, if you think about a single claimant job seeker, it's, it would be £73.10 a week. Um, it's then constructed based on the circumstances of the person or the people who are making the claim. For some of the legacy benefits, it's very similar. Um, there is an exception with ESA. I'll come back to that in a second. Obviously, one of the advantages of universal credit is supposed to be that it encourages people to work whilst they're claiming. Uh, so more credit is given to people who are working at a relatively low level and claiming universal credit. So 
There are allowances for people with children, for example. So first couple of hundred pounds that they earn isn't deducted from their personal allowance. Um, they get credit for 37p in the pound in terms of what they earn. But there have been issues with tax credits. So, for example, young single mums are worse off under universal credit because their personal allowance is lower than if they were on income support. Premiums have disappeared. So the way that disability-related benefits are calculated has changed. You don't get a um, support component if you were in the SA support group anymore. You get a disability element, which tends to work out lower. And I shall have a look at that later as well. I'm going to whiz through this because there's quite a lot of detail a bit later. So the housing element, I say that was, it's broadly similar to housing benefit. So if you're a council tenant and you live in a property that is appropriate for your needs, so you're not bedroom taxed and you don't have non-dependents, essentially your housing element will pay your rent. If you're a private tenant, the local housing allowance scheme still sets the, um, the amounts for the housing element. There have been and continue to be serious problems with delays in processing the housing element. So large numbers of people are finding that even if their universal credit claim is being processed, they're not receiving the housing element for many months. Again, I'll come back to that. And the housing element is calculated based on monthly liability, which can cause issues with council tenants because they, they, they get paid 50 weeks rather than 52 weeks because of the two-week rent-free period. But that doesn't show up in their rent account till the end of the year. So for the first 50 weeks of the, the year, they can look like they're in arrears. This isn't a trick question. Um, how is universal credit administered? So the administration of things like tax credits and the housing element, which were the responsibility of HMRC and the local authority, are moving across to the DWP. For live service users, so for that's the, the guys in Hull, or most of the guys in Hull that are on universal credit at the moment, they still interact with the DWP in a more traditional way. So they still have regular appointments at the job centre to see a job coach, um, and they have to use the telephone helpline, um, which I'll talk about a bit later, to interact with the DWP. Now, the idea with full service is that it's going to be very much more IT-based. So um, claimants will have an online journal through which they communicate with their contact um, at the DWP. And that, that's particularly useful for, say, people who only have a tax credits claim. Um, so they don't have to fulfil any job-seeking requirements. What Universal Credit has introduced is something called conditionality. So I said earlier that ESA and JSA are being replaced by universal credit. People who are on universal credit still need to be differentiated in terms of, of what their status is. So, so there's a number of different um, sort of subgroups, which I'll just, just explain. So some people might be in a subgroup that's described as no work-related requirement. And that is usually for people who are either 
um, would have been in the support group or are responsible for the care of very young children or um, carers. So they will still have to interact with the DWP, but they won't have any job-seeking requirements. Some people are in a work-focused interview group, which is for people generally. I mean, there's a whole list. I'm not going to go into it here, but um, who maybe have a still income support type, but the children are nearer the age of five, so people are being prepared to get back to work. There's the work preparation group, which is the old work-related activity group. And then the all-work-related requirement, which is essentially job seekers. So anyone who signs on to Universal Credit gets quite a detailed claimant commitment, which lays out their conditionality. And that's where the local job centre is still responsible for um, overseeing that, either through the online journal or through um, seeing people face to face. So you've probably heard there were quite a few early problems with universal credit and things kind of came to a head at the back end of last year. What I would say is obviously what we see is coloured by the fact that we see people with problems. I'm not suggesting that every person on universal credit has problems with it. That would be unfair and untrue. Um, I think what the experience of citizens' advice all around the country and lots of the social housing providers and local authority housing departments is that there have been far more problems than were expected and those problems have tended to have more severe consequences than anyone expected. So yeah, this is the doom and gloom part, I'm afraid. Um, that's why I'm starting this, so the day can only get better. The first problem was delay with the first payment. Um, people were often waiting six to ten weeks for their first monthly payment. So that's six to ten weeks without living expenses and six to ten weeks without their rent being paid. <coughs> Housing element was a continuing problem. So people were facing significant rent arrears before they'd even started. The Universal Credit Helpline was a contradiction in terms. Um, it was 55p a minute to ring, including if you wanted a budgeting loan or hardship payment. Um, and it was not uncommon for people to wait half an hour to an hour on the phone. As is often the case, and again, I'm not, cri not criticising individuals here. I mean, I think we know that the DWP and local authority staff have had all sorts of trouble getting to grips, not just with universal credit, but... There seem to be systemic problems with the administration in terms of the computer systems, which makes it hard for everyone. There had been problems understanding how it works. A classic example was clients who were failing their ESA medical and being told to claim universal credit for their income rather than claim job seekers, which they could still do. Um, I'll come on in a bit later to issues with timings of claims. But you can see that all of that very quickly led to people who were claiming universal credit either getting into debt or their debt quickly increasing. So what happened? Back end of last year, um, the, the government announced some changes. Um, 
The first thing was life service ended. So life service in Hull stopped in December and we're going full service this December. The one week waiting period, so you may be aware that new claims to universal credit simply did not get paid for the first seven days of the claim. That's their personal allowance and their rent. That was abolished in February. We've not yet seen what the um, trickle-down effect of that is in terms of whether that's badly affected or less badly affecting people from a debt perspective. People who are already on housing benefit and will transfer across to universal credit will get a two-week run-on of their housing benefit. So that's meant to bridge the gap a bit because of the one-month-in-arrear situation and the slight delays. The Universal Credit Helpline is now free. Still long waits, but it's free to wait. Um, It was identified that people weren't taking up the advanced payment option, which at the time was 50% of the first payment. So people are being more strongly encouraged to take up an advanced payment and they can get 100% of their first monthly payment within about a week of their claim. It's still repayable at the same rate, which is essentially has to be repaid over 12 months. And finally, and this is quite a big one, because one of the, um, the sort of principles of universal credit, you're probably all aware of this, is that um, the policy was everyone gets their monthly payment and are trusted to pay their rent out of that monthly payment. And it was only going to be in exceptional circumstances that direct payments to landlords were going to be allowed. Um, that has changed quite, quite drastically now. Lots of um, housing associations and local authorities are able to set up managed payments with tenants fairly quickly, even if they don't have arrears. So... Is it time for me to finish early and say everything is okay? (laughs) Sadly not. Um, So what I'm going to talk about now is some of the problems in more detail. A lot of these problems we're only just starting to see in Hull because we're only seeing live claims at the moment. So a lot of what we're seeing is through our debt team, but we're also getting a lot of feedback from um, other bureaus. So... Harrogate and Craven and Citizens Advice have been through full service for 18 months now, produced a very detailed report at the back end of the year. You've probably seen some CPAG reports filtering through. There's an awful lot of what I'm afraid is still doom and gloom, so apologies now. Um, But let's look at things in a bit more detail. So common problems. First one is the timing of the initial claim. When you make a claim, you start what's known as an assessment period. So if I made a claim next Tuesday, 1st of May, my assessment period would run from the 1st of May till the 31st of May. And I would get paid in arrears at the end of that month. And at the end of that month, all money that I have received, if I'm working or had been working, any other income I've got, would be taken out of that payment. What has been seen in a number of cases is people who are losing their job um, are rushing to make a claim for universal credit, and why wouldn't they? Not realising that if they get a delayed wages payment, which is to cover their previous period, um, if that falls in their assessment period, 
it's taken out of their first month's universal credit payment. So it, it has been quite common for people to have either a very significantly reduced first payment or nothing at all, which means the first time they get paid universal credit is two months after they started their claim. Now, what other offices are saying is that, that really for people in that sort of situation, they actually need to get advice before they make the claim because there's nothing untoward if you know you've got or likely to have a delayed wages payment in waiting for that to come through before making the claim. It's not fraud. It's, it's not um, unacceptable practice. It's, it's common sense. But people are being encouraged, you know, in good faith, quick, make your claim. Um, and it's, it's causing significant early problems. <coughs> Still seeing administrative delays, particularly with housing element. And I've got a whole slide on that, I'm afraid. Um, Self-employed income and childcare costs are also an issue. So for childcare costs, people have to use a portal every month to input their income. And if their income's above or below a certain level, they're entitled to the childcare costs. If their income fluctuates, or again, they get paid, say, four weekly, one month they might be entitled to childcare costs, the next month they're not. And it doesn't balance out. So if you get two wages payments in one assessment period and no wages in the next, you don't get credit for one. And that's the same for self-employed. And for the self-employed, once they've been self-employed for a year, they're subject to something called the minimum income floor. So basically they're expected to earn the minimum wage before they are eligible for top-ups from universal credit. And in months where they don't earn the minimum wage... They do not get topped up other than over the minimum wage level. In months where they do earn more, they obviously have that taken into account, but they can't balance the two again. So if you're self-employed and you have a bad month and then a good month, you don't get a steady stream from universal credit. Finally, ESA and premiums. A couple of issues here. One, again, people are able to benefit from transitional protection. Um, it's quite a, a technical area. But they're, again, sometimes being transferred to universal credit when they don't need to. Or we're seeing people who were just assessed, say, to be in the support group, been told that they're in the support group for two years, get bounced into universal credit, don't get paid to the dis disability element, and get given the UC50 form, which is the work capability form, and asked to take another assessment. Now that's wrong, and the DWP accept it's wrong, but it's still happening. So what happens if you're in debt with Universal Credit? You're probably all aware that under the legacy system, you can have benefit, benefits deducted, Usually it's £3.70 for each, each debt, which is 5% of your personal allowance for a single person. Under universal credit, you can have up to 40% of your personal allowance deducted. Again, that's usually in 5% chunks, but it's quite easy for utility creditors, council tax and landlords, and I'll come on to landlords again in a second, to... Um, to get these deductions. 
And it, it's quite brutal when you see a client's um, universal credit statement once they've had all of these tranches chopped off of their personal allowance. They can apply to the DWP for reductions. In practice, it's really difficult. It takes a long time. And by the time you've, you've managed it, if you've managed it, it can be too late in terms of the debt has been paid. So this isn't changing. We're seeing more people who are on universal credit in debt than people on legacy benefits. And we're seeing those levels of debt being much higher. So problems with the housing element. And these are problems that, I mean, I went to a seminar about a month ago where somebody from a, a big social housing association in the northeast spoke for an hour and someone from Tower Hamlets spoke for an hour and they could have used the same presentation. So the, everyone is seeing the same thing. This, these were two, two large landlords that have seen full service for a year or so um, and for them it's not looking any better. So, so a lot of the things I'm going to talk about here are things that have already been seen. So... Second point, keep reiterating it, delays processing. The problem with that is that even for the landlords, they don't have local contacts. So for us at the moment in the Wilson Centre, if someone comes with a job seekers claim or an employment support allowance claim or an old-fashioned housing benefit claim, we have local contacts that we can ring and they're very good and they'll sort things out. With universal credit, it's just not the same. The, the, the local job coaches don't have access to that sort of information for housing element. The landlords have a portal, but it's one way. So they can input information to say, yes, this tenant is paying this much rent this month. But that's it. It's fire and forget. So when the tenant comes back the next month and says, why hasn't my housing element been paid? The landlord can't um, interrogate the system because the system doesn't allow them to. And they can only use the Universal Credit Helpline or send an email to a generic email address. Um, the, the way it's paid back to the landlords can be complicated. DHP processing is still with the local authority. So I'm aware that for some local authorities, their computer system doesn't sync with the DWP's um, computer system. So it's quite hard to translate a DHP into the housing element. And it's a constant game of catch-up. And the workload for the local authorities and housing associations has gone up massively. What they're also seeing is that their workload with the legacy benefits is not going down. <laughs> so council tax reduction is taking up more time because more calculations are having to be made because universal credit changes every month. Um, whilst they're seeing less universal credit than they were expecting, it's taking more time. And they've still got more housing benefit on their books than they were expecting. So the strains are showing all around. That is obviously causing rent arrears, which we are now seeing in Hull. Um, and we are seeing quite a few possession actions as a result. We're also seeing lots of debt relief orders for rent arrears. With the blessing of tenancy officers, I hasten to add, but it's very much a band-aid over a problem that is not going to go away. So if you have rent arrears, 
and your landlord is not happy with the way you're repaying them, they simply notify the DWP, who will automatically deduct 20% of your personal allowance. Not £3.70, four times £3.70, or that's for a single person. Um, again, if you can show it's not in your best interests and you're suffering exceptional hardship, you might be able to persuade the DWP to drop it down to 10%. And if you've been sanctioned, it will be dropped down to 10%. But that is quite significant. And I am aware that in, in other areas, um, landlords, particularly social housing landlords, are still trying to negotiate directly with their tenants rather than report their arrears to the DWP. They're not obliged to report them, but they know that 20% is crippling. So lots of social housing landlords and local authorities are avoiding using this at the moment if they can, because it's hard to stop once the tenant is stuck with it. When you are in arrears, and I talked about this earlier, managed payments can start very quickly, so the the rent can be paid direct. I've already talked about the problem with the rent statements for local authorities. I had a client who ended up having been told he owed money and dutifully paid it back. He was £300 in credit, so he paid uh, over a month's rent um, out of his normal um, personal allowance, over and above his normal rent, um, because his housing officer didn't understand his tent, his um housing statement. Um, so it, those sort of things are still happening. What we're hearing is, yes, a lot of the people that are struggling with rent arrears on universal credit were already in rent arrears before they started with universal credit, but their arrears are doubling and tripling as they go through the journey of universal credit. So I think the last stat I heard was 85% of universal credit tenants in Hull are in arrears, and lots of them were at least £1,000. So it's quite troubling. So this is the final sort of specific point I'll make, and then we'll just look at a little overview at the end. We're already seeing quite significant problems with sanctions. The, the problem with the sanction is that it doesn't get applied until the client actually engages with the job centre again. So I saw someone last week who was subject to what's known as a low-level sanction. It wasn't his first, but it was, in theory, 28 days. Unfortunately, he hadn't engaged sufficiently with the job centre for 57 days before they could impose that sanction. So during that time, he was paid universal credit. He either didn't realise he had a problem or he buried his head in the sand. But when he re-engaged, the job centre had to say to him, well, we're going to sanction you 28 days, but that starts after 57 days. So the effective length of the sanction, without any money, was 85 days. And I've, I've heard that that is a common problem. And yes, it's a two-way problem. I know that, that you know, I've heard from job coaches that they find it really difficult because if they can't contact the client and the client won't come back in, they can't do anything. So some people are disappearing and it's only when they reappear that they get sanctioned um, and they don't realise they're going to be penalised for all the, the period of time that they haven't been engaging. You can get hardship payments, of course, and those hardship payments bring you back to sort of two-thirds of your personal allowance, usually somewhere around that. The problem is they're repayable straight away. 
So if someone is on a six-month sanction with hardship payments, it takes them six months to repay them by way of deductions. So they're actually reduced personal allowance for 12 months. Um, so we're seeing clients come to see us after they've been sanctioned, a long way down the process of being able to try and stop the sanction. But um, with us saying, well, your sanction ends next month, which is the good news, but the bad news is you're going to be like this for another six months. Um, I'm not saying this is the only reason for it, but you probably saw the Trussell Trust report this week, which said that in areas where um, full service has been been in existence for more than 12 months, food bank usage has gone up by 50%. For us, you know, I would love to say we, we have a really good solution to these sort of problems. Brutal truth is we often don't. You know, the food bank is a resort for us as well, I'm afraid, for some of our clients. So, a few wider issues. The benefit cap. Um, As you know, at the moment, the benefit cap can only be taken from clients' housing benefit. It can't be taken from their legacy benefits. We are just starting to see now, 16 months after the benefit cap really started to bite in hole, the effect of that, um, which is that our debt team are dealing with more and more possession actions in relation to clients who were subject to the benefit cap, maybe had a discretionary housing payment, maybe didn't realise they could apply to renew it, or were unsuccessful, and so have fallen behind with their rent and are facing possession. When universal credit comes in, the benefit cap can bite into their wider personal allowance. So... Somebody who at the moment maybe is only seeing 100 of the £150 worth of benefit cap coming out of their overall income will see all £150 chip away at their benefit income once they're on the universal credit. I've just flagged up free school meals. Again, you've probably seen the Institute of Financial Studies report on that. Um, There's apparently going to be 1.8 million people that are going to lose out or are going to gain, and 2.1 million that are going to lose out. So we're going to see lots of people struggling again with um, differing expenditures. The two-child tax credit limit has, has reached its one-year anniversary. Again, I think CPAG did a report on this. So these, these are all things that are really just going to add additional strain to families that are going to come under universal credit in the next year or so. What can we do about it? Um... There's a couple of things I haven't put on here. Um, one of the things is IT, and I don't know the answer. I do know it's a problem. So clients are supposed to be able to access the Universal Credit Portal on their mobile phone. But I think our experience in Hull is that lots of clients struggle either using IT or accessing it. Um, and that's not really going to be an excuse for them once they hit full service, I'm afraid. Um, advanced payments I talked about budgeting support is available to anyone on universal credit at any point in time in their claim so the DWP has a contract with Hull City Council who can provide budgeting support at the Wilson Centre but not many people are taking it up Um, address debt issues early I mean I've just been banging the drum about debt you know if you hit universal credit in debt you are going to struggle. So if people are already in debt, they really, really need to think about 
trying, not, not necessarily clearing it, but at least working out payment plans that they can manage so that they're not going to face significant deductions. If there's a choice over when to make their initial claim, get advice because it can make a drastic effect on the first few months. And once you're in universal credit, you can't get out. So if you make the claim at the wrong time or make the claim when you didn't need to, it's highly unlikely you'll be able to successfully ask the DWP to change the situation. So I'm sorry, that's not particularly good news. I mean, what it means for us is a lot of extra work, I think, and that's for everyone, um, because we've got to prepare our clients to be ready for a long, hard slog. You know, um, it's, it, it means being more proactive at the start, maybe making sure if you're a private tenant, you've got an up-to-date tenancy agreement so that when you apply for your housing element, you have all your paperwork in place and be preparing for um, patients on the telephone and patients with a computer. So I'm afraid that was a bit doom and gloom. Well, thank you ever so much, Andy. In fact, I'm going to give him a clap, let's